0: This is the conference operator. Good morning, and welcome to SNC-Lavalin's third quarter 2020 earnings conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode, and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Denise Jasmine, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Ariel. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining the call. I hope you and your families are safe and well. We appreciate you taking the time to listen in today. A Q3 earnings announcement was released this morning, and we have posted a corresponding slide presentation on the investors section of our website. The recording of today's call and its transcript will also be available on our website within 24 hours. With me today are Yen Edwards, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Jeff Bell, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, I would like to ask everyone to limit themselves to one or two questions to ensure that all analysts have an opportunity to participate. You're welcome to return to the queue for any follow-up questions. I would like to draw your attention to slide two and three comments made on today's call may contain forward-looking information. This information, by its nature, is subject to risks and uncertainties, and as such, actual results may differ materially from the views expressed today. For further information on these risks and uncertainties, please consult the company's relevant filings on SIDAR. These documents are also available on our website. Also during the call, we may refer to certain non-RFRS measures. These measures are defined and reconciled with comparable RFRS measures in RMDNA, which can be found on SIDAR and on our website. Management believes that these non-RFRS measures provide additional insight into the company's financial results, and certain investors may use this information to evaluate the company's performance from period to period. And now I'll pass the call over to Ian Edwards. Ian?
2: Thanks, Denis, Uh, and thank you all for joining us. Please turn to slide five. We continue to move forward on our strategic path including building out our pipeline and delivering consistent performance and remain focused on exiting lstk as effectively as possible firstly we have continued to deliver solid results in sncl engineering services in line with our expectations we continue to benefit from a diverse business mix public sector work and long-term contracts and relationships secondly the transformation of the resources service business is on track and we have moved quickly to restructure and reduce overhead while winning new services contracts in SNCL projects infrastructure lstks continue to be affected by productivity losses due to covid19 and summary forecasts current resources lstk projects perform well with a minimal loss however projects overall loss was disappointingly driven by an unfavorable arbitration ruling on a completed LSTK legacy resources project. Finally, our fo- financial position remains strong. We have $1.1 billion in cash and successfully issued a $300 million bond in the quarter. Turning to slide six and highlights from SNCL Engineering Services. This was another quarter of solid results for Engineering Services underscoring the strength and resilience of the business, which delivered an adjusted EBIT margin of nearly 10% and $186 million in cash flow. Segment adjusted EBIT was slightly up compared to Q2, and EDPM nuclear and infrastructure services performance has remained consistent over the past six months. This demonstrates the essential and long-term nature of the services contracts within our engineering services business. Please turn to slide seven edpm continued to perform well in our core areas of uk canada and the us revenues from the uk and europe transportation and defense markets were particularly strong and we continue to win new business we were recently chosen to be the commercial delivery partner for the uk's high speed rail 2 project this is a state-of-the-art high-speed line critical for the uk's low-carbon transport future Winning work continues in the U.S. where we've recently won several advisory and design service contracts for state department of transports. In the Middle East where the market is currently slower we're winning new work also and recently have been awarded the master planning work for the new leisure park with six flags. Overall Q3 backlog was solid $2.8 billion slightly higher than Q2 In line with q3 2019 our prospects pipeline remains robust at 27 billion dollars please turn to slide eight nuclear continues to perform well with results for q3 ahead of q2 the segment benefited from a good mix of long-term contracts field services ongoing engineering which have helped deliver enhanced ebit the u.s has been a strong growth market for nuclear with two contracts moving forward with the Department of Energy, both relating to decommissioning and waste management work at the Hanford site in Washington State. Our proprietary nuclear technology has also been well recognized with a number of contract and industry awards. Moving to slide nine. Infrastructure services also saw higher performance in Q3 compared to Q2, with revenues and margin on target. Our operation and maintenance contract were at full service levels as deemed essential, and we were active with both healthcare and power service contracts. Revenues from links on our substation JV with ABB increased for the UK and Europe. We saw a number of awards for infra services in Q3, including scopes relating to the ongoing pandemic and master service agreements in the hydro space. Turning to slide 10 and the capital highlights, in Q3, the phased reopening of the Ontario province and the greater Toronto area meant that the 407 ETR reported an improvement in traffic compared to Q2. SNC-Lavalin received a dividend of $16.9 million from Highway 407 on September the 3rd. Other concessions are performing very well with contracts based on an availability model. Moving to slide 11 and scl projects. We generated a loss of $25 million in segment-adjusted EBIT for infrastructure EPC projects, reflecting the continued impact on productivity as a result of COVID-19 and certain reforecasts. Negotiations continue to recoup these losses from our clients. We continue to expect that these Canadian light rail projects will be cash flow positive over their life. With two, re- two quarters already completed under COVID restrictions. And as we move through October, we have greater clarity on the impacts to productivity. We're now seeing industry productivity impacts of between 10 and 25%, depending on the project and the activities involved. The highest impacts tend to be on projects with extensive activities, including manual handling of materials, or working at height, or in confined spaces where the necessary safeguards to social distance during the pandemic have had impact on productivity. On all sites, additional hygiene breaks and the constraints on travel to site have also affected productivity. Despite the lower productivity, we continue to run down the LSTK backlog, which stood at $1.9 billion at the end of September. Turning to slide 12 and the resources projects, The combined loss for resources LSTK and services was $75 million for the quarter, primarily due to an unfavorable arbitration ruling on a completed legacy LSTK project. Obviously, I am disappointed with this ruling, which was outside our internal and and external experts' assessment. While we believe our current litigation risk assessment processes are appropriate, we're undertaking a further review of the remaining legacy LSTK litigation matters to provide additional assurance. On a positive note, the services side of the business performed better than expected, and the loss on active LSTK projects was down to approximately $3 million. The enhanced performance of the services was as a result of our ongoing efforts to right-size the business through divestment and overhead reductions combined with work winning and better execution. As previously stated, we remain on track to largely complete the backlog of resources LSTK by the end of the year. Moving to slide 13, we can see a significant reduction in LST backlog since our strategic direction in June 2019 to stop bidding on this form of contract. You can also see that the (coughs) the resources services backlog that is currently contained within this sector has remained stable at around a billion dollars. This provides further confidence that our resources services transformation. Our goal, as you know, is to exit LSTK, and we continue to focus on that. Moving to slide 14 and the transformation of a resources business announced in Q2. As stated, we have made significant progress in Q3 as we move towards profitability in the second half of twenty twenty one. In Q three, we announced the sale of the South African resources business, divested our European fertiliser business, reduced the overhead and headcount to approximately ten thousand, strengthened the order backlog with renewed of key service contracts in core countries. We remain on track to break even by the first half of twenty one. And turn a profit next year with that I'd like to move to slide 15 and conclude my remarks before Jeff takes you through more detail on the Q3 numbers our performance in the quarter continues to underscore the strength and resilience of the engineering services business and our continued closeout of legacy LSTK business currently we are focused on four priorities to unlock value for all stakeholders one closing out LSTK business successfully. Two, ensuring continued consistent performance across our core markets and geographies in engineering services. Three, positioning the company for a sustainable future, driving organic growth by sharing capabilities across our core markets, including looking at those capabilities that can help us enable clients to deliver sustainable infrastructure and clean energy. And leveraging technology and collaborative working to apply our major project expertise in new contract models that benefit our clients and the outcomes of projects and lastly four, we are building a connective collaborative organization to efficiently deliver our overall strategic direction I firmly believe that we have the business focused on the right markets in the right geographies and we're taking the right road to achieve our future With that, I'll thank you and I'll pass on the call
3: to Jeff. Thank you, Ian, and good morning, everyone. Starting on slide 17, the company reported an IFRS net loss attributable to SNC-Lavalin shareholders of $85 million, or 48 cents per diluted share in Q3 2020, compared with a net income of $2.8 billion, or $15.70 per diluted share, for the corresponding period of 2019. Q3 2019 included a significant gain on the disposal of a 10.1% stake of Highway 407 ETR of $2.6 billion, or $14.74 per diluted share. Note that the Q3 2020 income tax expense of $45 million included a $53 million reduction of deferred income tax assets, resulting from a reassessment of the future recoverability of lost carry-forwards in the U.S., while the Q3 2019 income tax expense of $309 million included $83 million of income tax recoveries on capital losses related to the capital gain on the Highway 407 ETR disposal proceeds. The Q3 2020 net loss also included restructuring costs of $33 million before taxes, mainly related to the resources services transformation. Year to date, we have recognized $58 million in connection with the resources segment transformation, which is in line with management's expectation of between $50 to $60 million for the year. The adjusted net loss from PS and PM in Q3 2020 amounted to $58 million, or 33 cents per diluted share, compared with an adjusted net income of $165 million, or 94 cents per diluted share in the corresponding period in 2019. The variance was mainly due to lower segment adjusted EBIT in both engineering services and project segments, and a negative variation in income taxes. The company continues to maintain a strong financial position. At the end of September, we had $1.1 billion of cash on hand and an additional $2 billion available to be drawn on the Revolver credit facility. Now, looking at the segments in more detail, on slide 18, we can see SNCL Engineering Services delivered solid results and continues to be resilient through COVID 19, with $1.4 billion of revenue in the quarter, in line with the second quarter, but lower by 3.6% when compared to Q3 2019. Segment adjusted EBIT was $142 million, representing a margin of 9.8%, in line with our expectations. The EDPM segment revenue totaled $899 million, a decrease of 7.3% compared to Q3 2019, as strength in several sectors, including transportation and defence within the segment core region of the United Kingdom and Europe, was more than offset by the adverse impact of COVID-19 in some other markets, notably aviation and commercial property. EDPM segment adjusted EBIT was strong at $81 million, a 9% margin in line with our long term target range of 8 to 10%. Note that the Q3 2019 margin of 10.6% included some positive project settlements. In nuclear, segment revenue increased by 5.5% to $225 million, mainly due to higher volumes across the geographies. Segment adjusted EBIT was strong at $36 million, a 16.1% margin, above our long term target range of 13 to 15%. Infrastructure services experienced a 1.6% revenue increase, mainly due to the growth in Linkson's revenue in the UK and Europe region. Segment adjusted EBIT of $25 million drove a 7.8% EBIT margin, also higher than our long-term target range of 5 to 7%. If you turn now to slide 19, the SNCL engineering services backlog continues to demonstrate resilience against the backdrop of COVID-19. And at the end of September was $10.7 billion, including awards for the third quarter of $1.2 billion. EDPM had a particularly good quarter with an ending backlog of $2.8 billion, up 1.6% versus the end of Q2. Bookings in the quarter of $943 million resulted in a booking to revenue ratio of 1.05, in line with the year-to-date ratio. If you turn now to SNCL projects on slide 20, In line with our LSTK exit strategy, revenues for Q3 2020 continued to decrease. Infrastructure EPC project revenues fell by 18% to $237 million, mainly due to the continuing backlog runoff of our major LSTK construction projects. The infrastructure EPC project segment delivered a negative segment adjusted EBIT of $25 million, compared to a small profit of $2 million in Q3 2019. This quarter's loss was mainly due to some cost forecast adjustments and lower productivity due to revised working conditions caused by COVID-19. Note that during the quarter, the Husky White Rose project backlog has been reclassified from LSDK construction to reversible and engineering services, as this project has been de-risked following the changes in contractual terms. The resources segment recorded a negative segment adjusted EBIT of $75 million, as you heard from Ian. The LSDK project business recorded a $61 million loss due to the $58 million provision taken for the unfavorable arbitration ruling. The resources services business, which is currently being transformed to complement engineering services, recorded a loss of $14 million, slightly better than management's expectations as non-primary operations continue to be wound down. Turning to slide 21, the DQEs, the decrease in capitalist segment-adjusted EBIT was mainly due to reduced contributions from certain concessions and lower dividends from our Highway 407 ETR investment, for which we received $17 million of dividend in Q3 2020, compared to $42 million in Q3 2019 due to our reduced ownership stake. Traffic volumes continue to be affected by the COVID-19 situation, but we believe these are exceptional circumstances. And with 78 years remaining on the concession, We continue to strongly believe in the long-term value of our investment. Moving to slide 22, net cash used for operating activities was $136 million in Q3 2020 compared to $51 million in Q3 2019. The variance was mainly due to a timing difference between the $200 million payment for the first wave of claims in the Pyrotite case and the receipt of insurance coverage proceeds expected in Q4 2020 which should cover a substantial portion of the $200 million. SNCL Engineering Services generated cash flow from operations of $186 million due to strong EBIT conversion and working capital positions, while SNCL projects continued to consume cash with a cash outflow from operations of $73 million. While SNCL Engineering Services should continue to see strong EBIT conversion to operating cash flow in Q4, SNCL projects will continue to consume cash, including the arbitration settlement payment. Combined with some unwinding in Q4 of the temporary working capital balance benefits related to COVID-19 government payment terms and sales tax deferrals outlined in our Q2 results earnings call, net operating cash flow in Q4 is expected to be slightly negative. During the quarter, we have successfully issued $300 million of debentures due in 2024 for which the proceeds were used to fund the repurchase of a portion of our Series 1 debentures and repay certain outstanding indebtedness under our revolving credit facility. At the end of September, the net recourse debt to EBITDA ratio on the revolver credit facility, calculated in accordance with the terms of the company's credit agreement, was 1.7 times, well below the required covenant level of 3.75 times. And finally, turning to slide 23, with respect to Q4 2020 outlook, we expect. Assuming no significant deviation from the current COVID-19 worldwide situation, that SNCL engineering services revenue should decrease by a low to mid-single-digit percentage compared to Q4 2019, and we have tightened the outlook for segment-adjusted EBIT as a percentage of revenue between 85 and 9.5% for the same period. This concludes my presentation, and we can now open the line for questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then 2. Once again, to join the question queue, please press star then 1 now. Our first question comes from Jacob Bout of CIBC. Please go ahead.
4: Uh, Good morning.
2: Morning, morning.
4: My uh, first question here is: uh, so you're indicating that you're undertaking a, f- a further review of the remaining uh, LSTK legacy li- litigation matters. Um, how many of these projects uh, could be could be subject uh, to this?
2: Okay, yeah, thanks, Jacob. <clears throat> I mean, let's just walk through how these things come about first, and and, and then put some context around what 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 it. What the number is in, in 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 the whole, I mean clearly cl- closing out LSTK is a priority for us, and and, and exiting the business. The the in, the intent of doing that is to complete all the the live projects and close out anything that's from a, a legacy perspective. Now generally projects that get settled in terms of the the accounts get settled. Pretty quickly after we've we've finished the job in in relative terms and and that's what we would expect to do by working with our clients and negotiating them out now in some cases those actually turn to dispute and obviously we're not in the business of not getting paid for the the work that we've done and we're not about to leave money on the table so so we, we 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 pursue recovery through a through a dispute or a litigation where we feel that we can we can get recovery. So that's that's a much smaller number of 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 instances than than the whole. I mean this particular case it, it goes back to the early part of last decade. So it so this is this is a, a a long outstanding um project that's been through an arbitration and as we go through those arbitrations we um we, we we make the assessment of what the outcome is going to be, and obviously in this case we're, we're pretty disappointed. So the the answer to your question is in context to the the closeout of the whole of LSTK. We're talking about a relatively small number of projects here.
4: Okay, and then my my next question is just on the um, the margin guidance he gave. Um, for EBITDA margin between eight and a half and nine and a half percent, I think that's at the, the higher end of your your previously disclosed um, H2 guidance range. Um, is this uh, just a mix issue, you know, a bit more nuclear, or or, or, or what's going on there?
2: I'll let, I'll let Jeff answer. I mean, it's a bit more of a kind of a stronger fix as we close out the year, but but Jeff,
3: I think you're on mute, Jeff really sorry <laughs> i was on I was on mute um, so our previous guidance was eight to nine percent um and as as I said in my script we've tightened that to eight and a half to nine and a half percent now you'd you'd be correct in observing that the middle point of both those ranges you know is effectively nine percent um I think the difference though at this point versus where we were at our q two earnings result is that We've got another uh, quarter, in a sense, of the COVID backdrop against the business under our belt, um, and therefore I think we have better visibility on the impact that it's having and how the business is responding. And as a result, with with one quarter to go, we feel confident about tightening that range to eight and a half to nine and a half versus versus eight to ten. Um, so, so I think that's that's where we think our our guidance is is comfortable.
4: Okay. And, and as we uh, go forward here, and, and we do more of a ramp in the nuclear work, is that a higher margin work? Uh, uh,
3: higher, higher margin work for you? Yeah, I mean, I think as we've guided, as you've seen us guide, we guide to thirteen to fifteen percent. Now, I think what we would say is obviously that is, that is a higher margin business. Um, it has to do with you know some of the very unique capabilities that we can provide to the market in that business um and and the importance of the the quality in effect of of the supply chain um within the nuclear industry itself, I think over time as well, some of our growth areas, particularly in the u s will come through uh, joint venture you know net equity or or income pickups where we'll effectively you know be picking up um, revenue and margin in the same amount so theoretically over time you might see an increase as well in the in the reported margin percent, although that will as much have to do with us picking up the net income as opposed to, you know, revenue.
4: Okay. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Okay. Thank
0: thanks. you. Our next question comes from Mark Neville of Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
5: Hi, good morning guys. Um, yeah. Morning, man. Morning. morning Uh if I could just follow up on Jacob's question on the litigation um, I appreciate your comments, um, I understand it's a, a small number of, of additional projects, but is there any way to sort of quantify the potential risk, and or sort of give us some comfort that this is really a one-off? Yeah. Event? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat>
2: clearly, you, you know, we're really disappointed. I mean, that's the first thing I'd say, this is a 58 million deviation from where we expected this to land, so, so we're disappointed. Um, and I probably explain, like I said, I mean this is this arbitration has been running for over a decade, and and the way that we assess the outcome uh, of these kind of arbitrations and litigations is obviously with external um, counsel, external legal advice, and external quantum analysis, and and we use our internal uh, assessment process and risk assessment process to to make a position um, that we either provide for or, and that we report on um, based on all the information and, and that, that's a live process. I mean as it, as it will go through its hearings and, and as we get further um, information that, that process is updated and we, we, we adjust any provisions or, or any reporting against that as, as the as the case unfolds. Now in th- this particular case the, the hearing was 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 some time ago, and the the actual award was in Q3. So we we do we do think having kind of got this, which was disappointing. It's important to to look at the few cases that we've got and do a, a re-review of those cases. We we will kind of expect from that little change because the process we have is pretty ro- robust already but we will do that to give us absolute additional assurance that um, that there's nothing there that uh, that needs updating.
5: right yeah. in this particular case, is, is there an appeal on your end? Or is this is, is sort of this? Well, appeal?
2: sometimes, I mean, it depends on the step. Yeah. It, it depends on the stage of the litigation and it depends on the actual
5: process itself.
2: In, in this case, it, it's somewhat binding. Yeah. So okay. obviously, you know, we
5: that's why we've taken, taken the loss. Right. Okay, um, and just moving on, um, just within the the projects backlog and, and infrastructure, um, again, and I, I appreciate you guys sort of now have a better handle on where the inefficiencies exist, um, but is there any sort of remediation or actions that you could take to sort of get this to a break even sort of business in the current environment, or we just sort of need... Sort of, or of more normalized, quote-unquote, yeah, normalized working conditions uh, before um, you sort of can stem the losses there? Well, no, for sure. I mean, we
2: are actively <coughs> looking to recover our losses from COVID. I mean, the the contracts, I mean, we're down to three contracts, basically. We're, we're down to Trillium, um REM project, and Eglinton. And and in all those contracts, and they're all slightly different, and obviously the clients are different, there is avenues of recovery through the contract and and we will pursue those um, and we we have yet to recover uh, anything um to be frank, but the discussions and the 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 kind of contractual case is being put forward based on the impacts as we see them. so in the fullness of time, we we would expect to 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 recover um, certainly the loss that's specific to to COVID, and
5: and and we will pursue that. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's one last one, with Jeff. Jeff, I just I didn't catch your comments around Q4 cash flow expectations. There was a you mentioned a few sort of discrete items. I just didn't catch it all.
3: Yeah, no, that's that's fine. Um, what I effectively said was we expect to see. Continued good uh, you know, EBIT conversion to EBITDA and, and operating cash flow in Q4. Um, we will continue to see a use of cash in the SMCL project space, and you know, as Ian was saying, there's a few contributing factors to those, including um, you know the need eventually to recover on some of the, the COVID nineteen you know sort of product productivity impacts. There's also an element, and I talked about this in Q2 of Um, government support programs, um, where we see prompt payment terms that are advantageous to us. We see sales tax deferrals, for instance, in the UK, um, all of which, you know, have have been effective in terms of providing us with positive working capital, but will unwind to some extent through the end of this year, but also into uh, into 2021. So, the combination of all those uh, means that uh, you know, our our best view is that operating cash flow will be slightly negative in Q4. Okay. Does that also
5: include the $58 million,
3: um settlement? Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, right. I think I said that in my script as well, but that that's obviously a contributing factor also. And I think the other observation I'd make is, you know, nine months into the year, we're actually just about break even from an operating cash flow perspective. We're slightly positive, I think about $17 million. So obviously... where we end up in Q4 is effectively where we'll end
5: up for the full year as well. Sure. All right. Thanks, guys. I'll I'll turn it over. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Our next question comes from Sabat Khan of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
6: All right. Thanks, and good morning. Um, Yeah, morning. Maybe Just looking at the resources segment, maybe outside of this uh, arbitration ruling against you, now that you've got about one quarter and a little bit of work left how are you feeling about the remaining resources lstk work that you're doing
2: yeah i mean we we would i mean i i think on the presentation it shows um 0.2 billion um of remaining backlog it actually showed that in q2 and it's not that we haven't had any uh, movement in the quarter it's just a rounding we we burned about 60 million dollars in in the quarter of, of backlog and as you can see um the loss is, is 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 pretty minimal um, from those projects and as we get through to the end then obviously we're looking forward to putting the, the whole of the resources LSTK business behind us now I would you know we've always said that there's there's not you know it's not zero risk going forward but we I think we've got a pretty good handle on the run down to the end um, and we we should be on track to put put this behind us certainly by by, the early part of next year. So I think it's a a good quarter uh, in terms of uh, progress and a good quarter in terms of um,
3: closing out.
6: Okay, thanks. And then we've seen uh, quite a few headlines coming out of the UK with the government focus on nuclear. The Canada government, I think, is investing a little bit in some SMRs here. Now, can you maybe talk about the pipeline of nuclear um, and kind of the, where you're involved or where some of those opportunities might be for you?
2: It's it, specific in the nuclear or just generally?
6: Uh, nuclear, more so, but yeah, just generally as yeah. well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, w- w- I think w- w- our range of capability in nuclear is really extensive, and uh, because it, it comes from several origins. So we, we have decommissioning capability. We, we have you know clean up nuclear waste remediation capability we have new build capability that's being applied to um, the Hinkley Point power station in in the UK we own the can do technology we 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 have lots of uh, vendor support to existing can do reactors and we have a technology business which really is quite innovative in providing technology solutions to the nuclear industry globally we see really good opportunity in absolutely our core markets which is the uk who are, are committed to build new nuclear there's um, there's a lot of rhetoric at the moment about sizewell and uh, whether the, the sizewell project will go ahead we we will be there with the, the client edf if that goes ahead we have a great relationship with with edf there's significant opportunity in decommissioning i mean all the power plants you know in the us the uk and to some extent in Canada are coming to the end of life and and our expertise in in decommissioning and remediating existing power plants to the natural environment is something which we we obviously very proud to have as capability and that we would expect to uh, to, to 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 obviously grow our, our, our market from mm-hmm. so i mean i'm obviously i could talk for for, for quite a long time about this because it's a pretty exciting part of our business but I think that gives you a bit of a flavor.
6: And then just one last one for me, maybe on the infrastructure APC side. You called out three big buckets, I guess, REM, Trillium, and the Eglinton Project. And we've seen some headlines around some litigation started on the Eglinton Project. You know, if we were to think about where you're looking to get your recoveries or some cost offsets going forward, I guess, is there one we should focus on more so than the others? Or are your cost headwinds through COVID spread evenly among the three big ones?
2: No, I, I think the productivity issues that we're facing are pretty even, um, and, and it, it, it depends on the absolute specific nature of the activities on the job. So, tunneling, for example, is a confined space, and it's very difficult to social distance, and there's a bigger impact. You know, traveling to height in, in an elevated platform is difficult because you can only get two people in a platform. You know, in a platform, and normally you'd get twenty. It's, it's that kind of thing. That leads to the productivity loss but it, but we're absolutely experiencing it on, on all three jobs and we're absolutely um, pursuing our recovery on all three jobs and as you rightly say um, we felt on Eglinton that the right step to take having tried to pursue this for quite some time is is to file a claim uh, in, into court and and that, that job you know we really need to get alignment with with our client as to the impact um, for many reasons, uh, not just recovery for time reasons, and and I'm sure we will absolutely get there. Um, but these things take time, and they they, they obviously take uh, demonstration.
6: Good, thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Yuri Link of Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead.
7: Hey, good morning, guys. Um, yeah, I wanted to follow yeah. up on the uh, the three Canadian. Uh, LRT projects just to be clear um in your in your pursuit of these uh to get these covid losses back um if you're not successful in in recouping these costs do we see a a cost reforecast in the future because of that or do the numbers already assume uh that you're not going to get these uh these recoveries I think what I would say is we're making a prudent assessment
2: of where we think the outcome's going to land, um, because obviously we're in the business of exiting this business line. We don't we don't want to carry risk forward into the future. So, I think we're being prudent. Is the way I
3: would answer that. Yeah, I think that is I, I think that's right. I mean, obviously we we take our best assessment. You know, as we've done it at the end of Q3 on that, um, you know, where where we're concerned, or you know, or see you know see see a position where we think you know we think we need to reflect that in the financial statements we you know we have. Um, but as Ian said earlier, you know, we think under the different contracts, um, you know, we're entitled you know we're entitled to recover uh, you know with significant amounts of COVID nineteen impact.
7: Okay, and and to circle back on the um, the arbitration issue, um, you know, it, is there is there a way to quantify the the number of projects that might be that you're still in in arbitration on? And I guess a follow up to that is, you know, why if you want to have a robust process, why wouldn't you just book a loss, um, assume you're going to lose these process, and if you do, then you know you don't have to report anything It's already in the numbers, and if you win, then it could be a you know a positive reforecast and just trying to understand what's still left out there in terms of tail risk and um if there's any change to your approach warranted yeah, I mean Jeff, maybe I'll take a view I'll
3: respond to that you know as as you've heard us say there's a small number of these you know we we generally settle out. Um, and negotiate commercially on these, but there are a small number of any significant value that are, uh, you know, that are there in, in some form of litigation from, you know, many years past, and, and that's where, where this one is. As you heard Ian say, I mean, we, we employ, you know, expert advice, internal views, external views, to try and make the best assessments, and, you know, part of the reason for that is in some of these cases, you can get quite, you know, you can get quite a wide range, as often ends up in litigation you know, one side asks for, you know, a larger number, another side, you know, asks for a smaller number and, and therefore you have no choice, but to try and take your best assessment of what you think the outcome will be based on the best input that you can get. You know, we've obviously had a look at that as, you know, as part of receiving, you know, this, this arbitration settlement, we think our, we think our provisions where necessary are appropriate, Um, you know, but we'll, we'll absolutely, you know, Essentially, you know, double check that and, and triple check in terms of, you know, have we got the best view on all of them? So we we think that's the right way forward, and and that's the um, that's the process we'll undertake here over the next few months.
7: Okay, uh, I'll sneak in one more for Jeff while I've got you. Um, sure. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think we've had a, a change to the uh, to the calculation of your your net debt dividend. Ratio and I don't think we've had an update in a while on that. So can you just give us uh, the the covenant of it's still 3.75 and where you peg your your current uh, ratio in relation to that? Yeah, I mean I think as always the, the 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 slightly
3: tricky part is that the calculation under our covenant ratio for the revolver credit facility isn't a straight. Net debt to EBITDA there are, there are a number of uh, adjustments you know that that happen within there. Um, and uh, therefore uh, you know as we go forward, we are thinking about you know certainly as we get into the first half of next year, um, you know how we can be uh, clear in terms of our thinking going forward as the LSTK projects you know have continued to run down further and we have better visibility on what cash flows look like going forward. Um, and our ability to, you know, to forecast those um, without some of the variability that comes with the LSTK projects, I think it'll be easier to, to link a, a net debt to EBITDA off, you know, from the financial statement, so to speak, um, as opposed to just the, the covenant ratio calculation. But as you saw in what we were doing, um, you know, certainly at the, with the level of cash and flexi- financial flexibility that we have, um, you know, our focus on cash flow and our level of net debt. Um, You know, we are we are uh, you know well within that that covenant ratio uh, at the current time. Okay, I'll turn it over.
4: Thanks. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Benoît Poirier of Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
8: Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Um, Good morning. First
4: question.
8: Yeah.
4: With respect to the
8: loss of productivity around the pandemic, could could you maybe quantify uh, the amount that has been uh, lost so far and the potential amount that you're looking to recover uh, from clients and any thoughts about the opportunities uh, around the government subsidies?
2: So I think so. As as we've incurred these uh, these losses, as we've incurred um, them through Q2 and Q3, I think we've we've been clear what our assessment of that is. Um, now, obviously, we are in somewhat um, discussion, negotiation, and, and and proof of of loss with all the clients. So we, we don't actually want to get into the the finite numerical details of that. Um, but uh but what i mean just to maybe jeff if you can perhaps just add to that from what we posted in q two and 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 q three uh
3: yeah so i think in terms of in terms of Benoit, i think you're asking about the 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 government support programs is that right yes yeah, so we um so for, for Q three there was about twenty two million dollars of benefit. It's in one of the notes to our to our financial statements, Note sixteen. Um I guess I'd make a couple of observations. That the first is that's globally. So um that's that's not just Canada, for instance. There's a you know a government support program for instance in the UK uh around um retaining furloughed workers. Um so so the observation I'd make is uh that's that's the government grants we've received But really, you know, that is that is there and has been used to offset the increased costs we've seen from, you know, either holding on to to workers and employment levels that otherwise we would uh, we would not have, you know, or returning workers from furlough or uh, or temporary leave. So, um, you know, so, so so we use it, we use it in that way. Okay.
8: And for resources, service, business, could you talk about the ongoing restructuring efforts and whether you have more clarity, visibility on the potential margin profile of this business in the long term?
2: So I think the first thing I would say is uh, what we said we would do in Q2 is on track. I mean, I think we gave guidance for... Um, for the services business in, in for Q3 and for Q4, and then into 2021, um, returning to profit. So actually, we've come in slightly ahead um, in terms of loss that, than we said. So we're slightly better than what we, we put out there for progress in, in Q3. So obviously, we're pleased about that. Um, I think the other positive is that to get this business profitable, it's about right-sizing the overhead and winning work. Um, certainly, the right-sizing of the overhead is going well. Um, we're we're down to about ten thousand staff now, which was you know a significant decrease over 2019, where we were around about fifteen thousand staff. So, we, we've 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 continued to push ahead with the restructuring and the white the right-sizing. in Terms of winning work, we're we're really pleased to have picked up. Uh, framework agreement in the quarter from BP this is exactly the 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 kind of project that we want exactly the kind of mandate that we want which gives us the framework to do engineering services and inspection work on a number of their assets um, and as we said I think when we put this together last uh, last quarter working for IOCs and NLCs is is the, the way forward for this business and I think before we get ahead of ourselves, obviously we've got to continue this effort to get it into profitability um, during 2021. But what we're looking beyond that is to get the profitability up to a complementary level to the other services businesses. Um, and, and obviously that's the intent in Beyond 21. Okay,
8: and very quick one uh, for me. Piratite case. Could could you provide additional details on the case, and maybe share your level of confidence that this payment will be reimbursed, and any color about the timeline uh, with
3: respect to the piratite case? Sure, it's Jeff. Why don't I take that one, Ian? Um, so I think uh, what you've seen, uh, as I and as we mentioned in the presentation, so. Uh, The first wave of of claims related to pyrotite uh, required a a payment or at least our share of the payment of $200 million. Um, And we have uh, clarity, having actually gone through the Quebec court system, that um, we will be paid $140 million uh, should be this quarter. Uh, from the insurance uh, group, and in fact there's another thirty three million on top of that so there's about hundred and seventy five of the of the two hundred that um we would we would expect to uh receive back on that and and the rest we had already provided in provision for in in prior periods um so we don't see uh we don't see a change from a from a p and l perspective as a result of that. Um it obviously there are, you know, there there's a second, you know, wave of claims going on, but that's that settled out the first wave. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Devin Dodge of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
9: All right, thanks. Um you have a number of framework
5: agreements uh with clients in your resources services division. Just wondering, are you
3: have you seen, or has there been any movements toward revisiting the pricing under these agreements? You know, on the one hand, the pandemic may have impacted your cost performance, but on the other hand, clients may be getting squeezed by lower commodity prices. Is there any color that you can provide there? No, I don't. I, I don't see that uh,
2: on the framework agreements that we've got in the in the resources business. Um, I mean, I think that the the LSTK part of uh, the resources business, which obviously we're in exit, is is probably becoming more competitive as as the market tightens and uh, there's obviously been a you know you know oil price fluctuation. Um, but no, no, I, I don't think we're 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 seeing that kind of pressure yet. Uh, we're we're very comfortable with the the the, the level um, of profitability in the framework that we won from BP. Uh, so. No, 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 no signs yet.
7: Okay. okay. And then maybe a question for Jeff and picking up on an earlier question on the leverage. But um, I guess what are you targeting in
3: terms of financial leverage for the business? You know, does it change as those LTK projects wind down? And then I guess at what point would you uh, feel more comfortable being more active on the capital deployment front, either buybacks or, or m yeah, no, I think it's I think it's a fair question. I mean, I think I think I'd start with you know, twenty twenty in my view has about has been about building financial flexibility and resilience. Um, you know, I think I think the first catalyst with this for this was just coming off everything from twenty nineteen, but then obviously you know, COVID has put us in the you know in the same situation. So, you know, as a result, very focused on cash flow. You know, converting you know earnings to cash flow, preserving cash flow, uh, you know, and and really getting the business highly focused on that. I think as we go forward, you know, the and and particularly it's the lstk portfolio that creates generally variability to our you know to our our cash flow delivery and our cash flow forecasting, and you just see that over over the last few quarters, but. As I think we've said previously, as we get into the first half of next year, we will have you know delivered a significant amount of the the lSTK runoff. you saw for me in slide we started back in twenty you know mid twenty nineteen around three point four billion between infra projects and resources we're down to just over two by the end of the year you know we would forecast you know to be just under two um and and you know have delivered a you know a fair number of those projects so I think as we Get into the first half of next year, we have a lot better confidence in our ability to to project that. Um, and I think our, you know our our demeanor generally at this point is to have a balance sheet that would be consistent with investment grade you know financial metrics. But you know we'll we'll take our you know we'll we'll have to take a view on you know how fast and how long it, it takes get you know it takes to get back to that you know. And as a result, I would you know I would expect that. You know, our our kind of gross debt, you know, would would be at a you know a similar or lower level than you know than where we are now, and and I think at the same time that starts to give us some opportunity to think in in 2021 about where we have you know positive cash flow, how we would appropriately deploy that, but we'll need to come back and give more visibility on that uh, as we get closer to that you know to that point in the, in the first half of next year.
0: Helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Frederick Bestian of Raymond James. Please go ahead.
3: Yes, thank you and good morning. Um, I was wondering if you could please go back to the comment you made about the uh, Husky White Rose project uh, being removed from the LSTK backlog. Um, what's behind that?
2: Yeah. Well, firstly, the,
3: the, the project's
2: gone through two postponements uh, as we as we hit. COVID, um, the client was pretty quick to postpone the project for a year. Um, and as we've gone through COVID and it's prolonged, currently, um, it, our understanding is that the project's not going to restart until 2022, although I, I do believe that's under review. Um, in addition to that, the contract was somewhat not a traditional lump sum contract anyway. It, it had some risk sharing in it. And 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 at the beginning of this year, uh, we, we we went through a, a a period with the client of of kind of re re looking at the contract and, uh, and and recasting the contract to to the point that it, it's uh, it's not something we would class as an LSTK now. Um, the risk share in it is is not not on, under that profile. So if the project does come back, and and, and 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 we we are not clear about that right now, but if it does. It'll be a good um a good project for us with uh, with limited risk,
3: okay, but did that decision um compel you to take a provision on the project in the quarter or just curious if no there was no any, any financial impact no on no okay. no
2: no no the client has actually been um very fair in its approach to um shutting the project down i mean we've got to have people there to kind of maintain the the status of the project so they can be restarted so we've, we've worked closely with the client and i think we've uh, got a good relationship there where we've um we've, we've we've been flexible to what what they need um and, and obviously we, we we've not incurred any loss from
7: it okay and can you provide an update on how the trillion project's going well I, it's obviously it, it's having some effect
2: through covid but pretty much like uh, the, the rest of the jobs Um, it's it's relatively early days in terms of completion the the big year for for Trillium project is is next year I mean we're entering the winter phase now where works are are, will become limited until spring next year but we're we're, we've got a big campaign planned for next year and it's a it's a critical year for the success of of the job but apart from that um, we we're, we're we're pretty much on track. Um, but as I say, the the, uh, the the proof of it is really in next year's work.
7: Okay, thanks.
3: I appreciate the color. Thank you.
7: Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Chris Murray from ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
10: Yeah, thanks, guys. Good morning. Um, just maybe morning. going back to the, the EPC projects for a second and just trying to understand um, – you know how we should be thinking about margin profile going forward you know let's assume that um you know as i think in your comments here you indicated that you're you know you're learning how to work within some of the the COVID restrictions now um and let's assume you know that your discussions with your clients will will be ongoing but how do we think about the margin profile over the next little while um because i know you've talked about kind of free cash flow neutral um you know c- call it historical uh, margins but but just you know, with the with the reforecast now done, how do we think about this for
3: Q4 and into 21? Yeah, and Ian, maybe I'll, I'll sort of take take sure. a take a crack at that. Chris, I think, and you're absolutely right. We we've, we've talked about them being cash flow, you know, positive over their over their life. As a result, we'd obviously um, you know see them as profitable over their over their life. Um, part of the reason for the comment, of course, particularly on the cash flow side, is that is that the cash flows can be a bit lumpy because obviously we're in, incurring the costs, uh, you know, often on a reasonably rateable way, whereas the you know the the cash payment profile, you know, within the contracts can obviously be a be a, a bit more lumpy that way. Um, you know, I, I, as you heard as you heard Ian say. You know, we are we are where we're seeing you know cost impacts. You know, taking those as we go along, um, we do think with and so that that ultimately may drag the margin down a bit. Um, but ultimately, you know, when it comes to COVID, we think that you know the the costs themselves are are largely recoverable. Um, you know, through time and and through money, uh, you know, with within those contracts. So um, I think. I think part of it is that, you know, it's early days. We've been taking this quarter by quarter. I mean, it, it seems like we've been living in COVID forever, but, you know, in reality, at least here in, you know, in Canada with respect to these projects, you know, the impact really just been in the last two quarters. So we've been, you know, we've been trying to assess that quarter by quarter. The position we've taken, you know, at the end of Q3 is, is the visibility that we see. Um, and you know I think that takes us into the winter and and then you know as we get into next year we'll we'll you know we believe have a chance to you know have worked through you know some of these issues with uh you know with our clients and have a good idea about you know what that means for the for the construction period next year
10: okay. um that's helpful and then and then my other question just is in terms of you know we talked a little bit about the resources business um and certainly some of the comments I think were more energy focused but one of the one of the questions. Um, or some, some of the commentary, um, and maybe it's a different way to think about, uh, you know, if you're thinking about oil and gas, but just energy broadly. Um, part of the transition and the energy transition has also been some discussion around um, the mining business and, and, and resource requirements to build some of this new infrastructure. Um, can you just talk a little bit about how you're seeing some of the funding, especially out of the, out of the Canadian government, that's looking to... Create this transition, and how you think that that may impact you in the coming years.
2: You mean funding uh, of of energy and infrastructure, the the whole market, Chris?
10: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the 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 term that is it's generally being used in our core markets is is shovel ready, shovel worthy, right? And uh, the shovel worthy uh, component of really means. Investment in infrastructure that gives a, an economic benefit, but also is sustainable in, in its nature. And, uh, and there's several announcements that obviously you'll be familiar with in Canada, but it's the same. It's pretty much the same story, I think, in, in certainly in the UK and to some extent in some states in the US. And, and that, that for us is a is is, is a very very uh, big positive because actually delivering sustainable infrastructure and And actually, you, you know h- how we, we think about that and, and that both the type of capabilities that we've got and and how we apply those capabilities are, are pretty much in our in our sweet spot of of, of 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 the capabilities we have. I mean, if you think about clean energy, obviously, you know we've got extensive capability around hydro and and clean energy wind farms in the UK. We've got a nuclear capability which is in our consideration clean energy. We have just won this mandate in the UK for the, the high-speed rail which absolutely because of the net zero 2050 legislation has to consider um, its carbon footprint and we've done a lot of work looking at the carbon footprint in partnership with the, the client there. So. So we see the whole industry moving a bit more towards a, an outcomes-based um, um, industry rather than just thinking about, you know, let let let's let work on an LSTK basis and get the cheapest price we can. So I think where we're taking the company and the capabilities we got play directly into this.
10: Okay, that's helpful. Thanks, folks.
0: This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Jesmin for closing remarks.
1: Thank you very much for joining us today. I know there are a few analysts still in the queue there, but we we are running out of time. But please don't hesitate to contact me. I'll be pleased to answer any of your questions. Thank you very much, everyone, and have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines.